He really since the beginning. I'm so thankful to be here with you all and to kick off this summer in Psalms. And can we agree this last year has been sort of crazy on a lot of different levels? And one of the things that's amazing is, have you noticed how the two different people can look at exactly the same event and come with radically different perspectives and application? You notice that? Well, look at this picture on the screen behind me. Tell me what you see. Just look at the picture. How many of you see a young woman? Raise your hand. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you see an older woman? There's a few here. And I was showing Daniel this when we were going through the slides. He said, dude, I don't, I don't see the old woman. I see a young woman. So that's because you're a young guy, Daniel. You see what you want to see. Okay, but really, depending on your perspective, you see two entirely different things from the same picture. There's a lot of these now. This one's been around for over 100 years. I don't know if you know that. It first came out of Germany, and then it's made several different cycles through different places to show this. And so we see things in our experience, uh, our perspective, our education, our temperament. All of those things go to make us see certain things from the same exact event. Well, in life, it's the same way. Sometimes you go down life, you have to make a decision, you come to what we might call a fork in the road. Okay, you go right, you go left. You're gonna go one of these two ways, you can't do both. Well, how do you know which one to take? How do you know what's the right one that's gonna get you home, get you the place? Now. You know, a number of years ago, one of my best friends in the world, but also in Phoenix, we're also hunting buddies, and we were up chasing around elk in northern Arizona during archery season. That's a little bit of a challenge, if you want to know it. And so we'd go out way before daylight, and we would listen for elk bugling off in the forest, and then we'd just take off. There's no roads. We just parked the truck, and we'd go. And wherever the elk went, hopefully that's where we went. Well, we'd been doing this all day long, and it was time to go back to camp. And so we start making our way back, and we come up to a road. It wasn't a fork like this, but it was just a T. And so we hit the road, and my friend starts to go right. And I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to the truck. I said, well, the truck's this way. He said, no, is it? The truck's this way. I said, Bill, the truck is this way. And so we were at an impasse. Both of us are a little headstrong at times. You don't have to say anything, Emily. Okay, so both of us are a little headstrong. And I said, Bill, I'll tell you what you do. You go ahead and go right. I'm gonna go left. I'll get the truck and I'll come pick you up. Now, at least one of us made it out of the woods. Modesty won't allow me to tell you which one of us was right. Okay, but I'm standing before you today, right? So I, it's my story and I'm sticking to it. Well, anyway, how do you know what direction to go? How do you know where, what the, the right decision is? Because we all make wrong decisions in life. And this study in Psalms is really a lot about that. It's somewhat of a tale of two paths or two roads. And that's what you're going to see in Psalm 1 today. And we're going to see an overview of Psalm 1 and I want to read it to you. But let me just tell you, here's what it is. Here's the statement just in one sentence. There's about seven or eight verses here that I'm going to read to you. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me, whether it's physical or whether it's digital, however you want to read. But here's the overview. Flourishing in life comes from following the word, not the world. You got that? Flourishing in life, true life, lasting life, comes from following the word, not the world. 
Here's what it says. Listen to what the psalmist says in, in chapter one of the Psalms. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but instead his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He, the righteous man, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked, they are not so but instead are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. That's the reading of the word of God. In verse one, we see this, and I just give you a paraphrase. True happiness does not come from following the advice of those who do not know God. That's not the path to true happiness. You notice what it says in verse one? Blessed, how completely happy, how completely fulfilled, how completely actualized, how flourishing is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Do you notice the progression that's there? Both in the verb that's used and in the, the words. They do not walk, they do not live according to the counsel of the wicked. They do not live according to conventional wisdom, according to the wisdom of this world. There's sometimes that God tells us to do things that seem so contrary, so, so adversarial to everything else I've learned and even what I've experienced in life. He's saying, blessed is the person who does not listen to conventional wisdom, who does not go according to the teachings and the lives of this world. He also says, who does not stand in the way of sinners. Those who choose to go a different direction than what God has said in his word. To sin is to err, to sin is to miss the mark, to sin is to say God says this and I think I know better so I'm gonna do this. Or someone has told me that. He says, look, you're not gonna walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand and linger further for a longer time according to the way, the lifestyle of sinners, nor are you gonna sit down and become comfortable in the seat of scoffers. Not just saying, hey, that's okay, if that's your perspective, if that's what you think, if that's what works for you, fine. Did you know this progression? Did it get to scoffing, saying, you're an idiot. You don't see the, the old woman in this picture? You don't see the young woman in this picture? You are an idiot. You don't get it. It's two different ways, two different perspectives. And now it's scoffing. It's saying, that can't possibly be true. And you are stupid. You are an idiot. You are a fool if you believe that. Do you think we're headed down that path in our culture and in our world today? where increasingly people who stand for, who dwell in, and who live according to the word of God are being ridiculed and attempted to be shamed and to be intimidated into believing something different? Yes, we are, increasingly so. Well, he says, look, the way of blessing, the way of happiness, the way of flourishing is not according to conventional wisdom. 
Now, it's easy to take a deconstructionist mindset. That's true in most postmodern cultures. It's easy to tear things down. The question is, what do we put back in its place? If you want to know what's wrong with the church today, I can give you multiple legal pads. There's other people that can do the same. But when I ask the question, well, what would you do in its place? Now it's crickets, right? Now there's not a good, well, fortunately, the word of God, the spirit of God directing the psalmist gives us a viable and positive approach. He says, look, the path to living is not according to the conventional wisdom of the world, but true happiness does not come that way. True happiness does come from following the wisdom that's in the word of God. That's what it says in the next verse. But his, meaning the the man who follows after God, the woman who follows after God. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. On his word, on God's word, the man or woman who wants to follow Christ, who wants to be fulfilled in life, who wants to flourish in life, needs to meditate, needs to feast upon, needs to drink in. All of these are terms that are used throughout Scripture, oftentimes in the Psalms, many other places. That's our source of nourishment. Many of you know that there have been studies that have been done. Uh, George Barna, and, along with the American Bible Society, has basically done studies of the state of the Bible, state of the church, other types of things in this country. And they've just come out with one in 2021. And, and there's some good news, and that is Bible reading is up after this last year of 2020. So that's a good news. There are some great things that are happening, but it's still just a little over 50%. They said, you know, before this last year, it was well in the 40% that people would turn to the Bible to read it. But after this, it's jumped up about 7 or 8%. I would hope it would be even more than that. And they talked about where the most Bible-minded cities are. Where do you think the most Bible-minded cities are in our nation? In South and Texas, good. Are you from Texas? Naturally, of course. Everything revolves around Texas. For those of you that aren't from Texas, you need to know that Texas is the center of the universe, okay? Bradley, I gotta tell you, bro, they're not in Texas. None of the top 10 are in Texas, but they are throughout the Southeast in what's known as the Bible Belt. Where do you think Phoenix falls? In the bottom 10. Now, to make that bad news worse, and it does get worse, the most Bible-minded cities are defined by answering the question, have you read the Bible any time in the past week outside of a church service? And only 50-something percent said yes. That's Bible-minded. Just reading the Bible one time in the course of a week. What does this say? In his word he meditates day and night. This is not just on Sundays. It's not just once a month. It is a lifestyle. If I were to ask the question, how many of you are in the habit of eating two or three meals physically of food a day? I bet most of our hands would go up. What if we took the same approach to being in the word? You think instead of being weak and anemic and lack of confidence in our walk with Christ, that it may be strengthened? Well, that's what it says. 
True happiness, true fulfillment, and I'm not just talking, I'm talking long-lasting, I'm not talking that which is circumstantial. We're talking about joy, we're talking about fulfillment, we're talking about blessedness, as the Bible defines blessedness. It comes from the word. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his day he meditates day and night. The next point is this. Following the wisdom of God's word has a result, and it results in flourishing and fullness. That's what it says in verse 3. He, the righteous man or woman, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The promise is this. If we live according to the principles, the practices of the word of God, that he will bless us. He will cause us to flourish. He may not bless us financially because he may need know that we need to trust in him more than our bank account. He may not bless us circumstantially knowing that, that we need to trust him and trust that his sufficiency, his grace is sufficient in every circumstance. But he may also do those things. But the bigger issue is that internal person the, the understanding of me will take the circumstances of life, both good and bad, and hold them with an open hand, knowing that we honor not the gift, but the giver. That's true blessing. That's true happiness. That's true flourishing. You notice the picture that's used of a tree that's planted by water and it sends its roots down and, and its leaves are there and it produces fruit. It produces good things that are helpful to not only that individual, but to others around. And it's all sourced of been rooted and grounded in God's word. That's the picture that's being done right here. But notice he gives his blessing in due season. It's not immediate. It's not instantaneous. It's not microwave spirituality. In due season. And some of those seasons, it looks like God's not doing anything. It looks like he's not showing up. He looks like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. But does that mean God is not at work according to his promise? A week ago, my wife and I were at a conference in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And one of the speakers there, you may have heard of him. His name is Lee Strobel. He wrote Case for Christ, a whole bunch of other stuff. Just a fast track for those of you that do and don't know to bring up to speed. Lee Strobel was an atheist by his own statement. He was an award-winning investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune. And in his mind, fate played a cruel joke on him when his wife was befriended by a Christian and that Christian nurse led his wife to faith in Jesus Christ. He said, the first thought I had was divorce. I am done, I'm out of here because Strobel, by his own statement, was leading a life that was deep into alcohol, other types of abusive behavior, deep into he's all sorts of sin. And he said, that was my lifestyle and this had no part of it. And I wanted to rescue my wife. I'm not gonna divorce her. I wanna rescue her from this cult that she's become a part of. And so the way that he figured to do that was to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to use all of his investigative skills, and to disprove the resurrection because then it would all come down like a house of cards. Many of you know that story. And how he came to faith in Jesus Christ. Amazingly, 
much through watching the change in his wife's life and in looking at the evidence for the resurrection, he came to the conclusion it takes more faith to not believe in it than to believe in it. And he made a decision for Christ. Now, you know that. You can read about it in his book, Case for Christ, uh, all sorts of other books like that if you want an investigative approach. But here's a story I bet you have not heard. I know I had not. He talked about how a number of years later, he was on staff at his church where he was attending, and he had come to the place where he was growing, and he wanted to, he wasn't on staff at that point, he was still at the paper, and he, Easter Sunday was coming up, so he went to the, to the business manager of the paper who was in the same place he was before he came to Christ, he was an atheist, he wanted nothing to do with it, and he said, I walked into his office and I said, hey, I just want to invite you to go to church with us on Sunday, and he said, Lee, I'm an atheist. I want nothing to do with that stuff. And Lee said, well, I asked him, I said, well, do you ever have any questions about God? He went, no. Do you ever think about God? No. Why would I do that? He doesn't exist. He sat down and he walked through his evidences that he had given, he'd written books on, and the guy who had nothing to do with it just shot him down. And he walked out of there saying, God, what is going on? Why is this? I, I just, I knew that this would be convincing it was to me. It wasn't to him. A number of years passed. He didn't say exactly how many. And he's now on staff at the church. He had grown personally. He's on staff at that church in Chicago. And there's a guy that comes up to him after service. He might even been speaking somewhere else. I don't know that. And Emily, I'm sure you'll correct me after this is over because you heard it too. <laughs> you know, her, she says her memory is faulty until I start telling something that she has perfect recall. So that's a whole nother story. That's a marriage conference we ought to do some other time when one of us gets invited to it. So anyway, you get the drill. So he's at this church. This guy comes up and says, Lee Strobel, I just, want to, I just want to meet you, tell you how God has used you in my life, how great an influence you've been in my life. And he says, well, who are you? I don't remember ever having met. I don't. And he says, well, let me tell you. He says, a number of years ago, I was going through time. I lost my job. I didn't have any money. I came to the paper. I would just ask him, do you have any, any small jobs that we can do, you know, that I can do for you? And they said, well, can you lay tile? He said, well, I'd lay tile in my bathroom. So I said, yeah, I can lay tile. So he shows up. He lays tile in the bathroom. Then he comes in, and he's laying tile in this place. He said, I went to the business manager's office, and I was in his office laying tile underneath a countertop or cabinet over in the corner and you came in the room, I don't even think you knew I was in the room. And I listened to your conversation with the business manager and how he just shut you down. And you walked out and you never knew I was there. But I thought, you know what? My life is in the toilet right now. I need what he's talking about. So I'm going to that church. He went to church, his wife went to church, his teenage son went to church, and they all three came to faith in Christ that Sunday. God is at work even when we don't know. He is at work to accomplish his purpose and to produce his fruit. Can we believe that? Even though we may not see it. Whether that guy ever came up to Lee Strobel or not didn't change the fact of what God did, right? God just cracked the door and let him see like he does for us at times in his season. You know, I think it's important that we see this. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit, does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. 
I just want to say this to you this morning. Tim's not here, and AC's right. He's glad that he didn't see Tim because Tim's not supposed to be here. Tim and Jay are supposed to be somewhere else. They're supposed to be with each other. They're supposed to be with the Lord. That's what the Bible calls a sabbatical or a Sabbath. It's a principle that pastors in particular, all of us are loath to follow, but pastors in particular. So pray for Tim, pray for Jaya, pray for their family, that God would cement the relationship between them and between him and with one another so that when they come back, having dug deep and been watered deeply by the word of God, that they will be even more productive and this church will benefit from the blessings that come by giving them the freedom to do that. So pray for them. Another psalm that says the same thing, Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord and they flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age and they are ever full of sap and green. I love that verse. Anybody know why? They still bear fruit in their old age and they're still full of sap. No, that's not what it says. Yeah, they are full of sap. I hope you don't say, you're so sappy. Except there's vitality. Emily and I were having this conversation this morning about this season of life. Now we want to push through the tape. We want to see this season as an increasing fruitful season of investing into others. That's the beauty of this. It does not have a shelf life. As long as we follow the song that was there, talked about, I'll do this till the day I die. That's the perspective we need to have and trust that God will lead us to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him at all. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament says similar to what the psalmist is saying. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, it says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints, that's all the men and women who've trusted Jesus, what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness, the fruitfulness, the abundance, the blessing of God, being rooted in his love and in his word. Do you see the picture that's there? I know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no one that comes to the Father but through him. But when Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly, he was not just talking about eternity. He was talking about that, but he's also talking about experiencing the abundance, experiencing the blessing, experiencing the fulfillment, experiencing the flourishing right now. You know, the only time that we can experience the abundant life is in the present. Because when we get to the future, that will be present. The only time you and I can experience it is now. Do we trust God with that? The next verse says this. In essence, this is a paraphrase. Following the advice of the world will lead in emptiness and instability. It may not look like it at first, but eventually it does. Here's what it says. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. 
Now that's a, an agri agri agricultural type of thing that most of us don't see. You probably have been driving around the streets of Phoenix and seeing people throw wheat up in the air and let the wind blow the chaff away, right? I haven't recently. The closest thing I see to chaff is in the fall when we scalp down our yards and there's this huge dust of, you know, that grass particles that are up in the air, okay? That's what they would do. They would take the wheat, which is cased with the kernel. The kernel of wheat, which is the good, it was encased with a sheath that was there that's lighter, that as it ripens, as it turns brown, not green, they would put it all together and they would winnow it. They would throw it up in the air on a threshing floor and they would find a place where the wind would blow and would throw it up. The wheat would go up. The chaff or the, cur the husk that was there would be blown away and what they would end up with eventually was the kernels of wheat, not all the other stuff that went with it. That's what he's saying, the wicked are like that. In God's time and God's place, eventually they will cease to what we look at thinking they're flourishing. It won't hold them up. It will be blown away. The next verses say this, eventually the world, worldly paths lead to destruction but the direction provided in God's word leads to abundant life. Listen to these words. Verse five and six. Therefore the wicked shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the seat of the righteousness for the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. We look at this and we think, wow, is that, is that really true? And this talk about judgment, that's harsh. Why would we talk about that? I just want to follow Jesus. Well, I got to tell you, Jesus spoke the truth and he spoke it in love and he did talk about the same things the psalmist is. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, he says to his people, to his disciples, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to what? Destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The path of God is never by majority rule. Understand that. If you and I are going to follow Christ, it means we're going to be in the minority. But if you read the scripture, you find most of the times the majority was wrong. It wasn't popular opinion. Jesus also said this in John 15, Verses five through six, I am the vine, you as my followers are the branches. Whoever abides in me, whoever remains in me, draws their source of life from me, and I in him, he is the one who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, there's a lot of interpretations of that passage, but here's the question I would put to you. Whether that's talking about eternal judgment or temporal judgment, I want to be someone who is known by abiding in Christ so that he produces his fruit in me and through me. I don't want to take the chance of being one of those branches that is devoid of the vitality that comes from Christ then whatever it means that withers up and dries and is cast into a fire and burned, which of those two do you think really speaks to true flourishing? It's not a trick question, and it's not a hard answer. Well, it is a hard answer, but it's not hard to answer. 
I bet you, like I want to put my faith in that which will hold me up. And that's the person of Jesus Christ. You know, there's many world systems that look like they're going to hold us up for a long period of time. But the question is, will they stand when they're put under the test? Here's the deal. 1981, completion of a major Hyatt Regency in Kansas City. You see the picture behind me. is state-of-the-art, amazing multiple stories inside. There's a great atrium down below for hosting many different types of things. There's some spended walkways that go across. I don't know if you can see those or not in the picture. And it's designed where people could be celebrating down below and on the walkway and going back and forth and joining in. And it, it was like, this is a great place to be until a day in July in 1981. When something that happened that would put this as one of the greatest architectural failures in the history of our country, and it's still one of the top 10, when two of those walkways under the load of the people that were on it came crashing down to the floor. 114 people died that day and 216 were injured with varying degrees because there was a party down below it and there were people that were celebrating and they were living their life and they thought life doesn't get any better than this until those bridges would not hold them up. You know, sometimes we don't know that our faith will hold us up until it's tested like those bridges. They look great and they work great until they didn't. How many times do we look in life and we say, this, this really looks awesome, this looks great, and it holds us up. Our, our bank account's improving, our job is going to a great place, our relationships are fine, our marriage is in a great place, our kids are doing well, and everything is working until it doesn't. Then where is our faith? Another one of the speakers last weekend, his name is Kyle Kyle Eidelman, he's the lead pastor at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And he said that one of the things that really caused him to grow is he went to the hospital to be with the family. And he says, you know, like as a lead pastor, I don't go to the hospital often. You don't want to see me walk through the door because when I do, you know it's not good. And this was not good. He goes because there's a family in the church that he knew and they were expecting a child. And, and that child was born without life, was stillborn. And so he goes to the hospital to be with the parents and he goes and there's a bunch of people in this room and they're singing songs but the nurses directed him to another room and in that room here's the father holding this little baby that had never breathed a breath of life. And the man said to him, he says, I guess now what I say I believe I'll find out if it's real. Praise God, it's real. Praise God, it's real for him. Praise God, it was real in Kyle's life. And here is a person he went to minister to that ministered to him because of the faith that he had. I've been in that position. I've seen that. I'll bet many of you have too. Even that same circumstance where I've gone into a room with friends who are so longing for their first child and the child didn't make it. And to walk through that room, and Nicholas and Mary in that bed, and I've shared this story with many of you, and through tears, they just said, God is good all the time. Friends, that is flourishing 
In some cases, God may give another child like he did with Nicholas and Mary, a a, a beautiful miracle baby named Sifa, which in Swahili means praise. Sometimes he doesn't choose to answer in that way, but he still gives the grace to know that there's a heavenly father that loves them more than life itself. And he sent his son Jesus to die for them and to give them an abundance of life. Friends, that's what this study in Psalms is about. If you look at Psalms in different ways all through the entire book, you're going to hear about flourishing, but that flourishing comes by following the wisdom that comes from the Word of God. This song that Kyle and and the team put together and wrote is absolutely it. Let that be your anthem. Let that be your your song. Let that be your rallying point. Because I don't know what's going to happen in your life now or over the course of the summer or in the months that are to come. But the question is, is what you're putting your trust in, will that hold you up? What we're offering to you is a sure and solid foundation that can never be taken away. Let's pray that becomes a reality in our experience. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father in heaven, I want to thank you for the men and the women and even the children there in this room today. And I pray that that they might experience your presence in very personal and powerful ways. I pray for Tim and Jaya while they're gone that you're just going to cause them to be even more rooted and grounded in your love and in your word and that you will bring them back to this church into this family far stronger more vibrant, vital, and flourishing than even before. Thank you for the good work you have done over the last seven years here. And Father, we look forward to how you're going to work even more. Thank you, Lord, for all of this. Thank you for the good work you've begun this morning. And just help us to be like little Trace. Help us to just wrap our arms around you, around your legs, and to look up into your eyes and to follow you in confidence and trust. Thank you, Father, for all this. In Jesus' name, amen.